Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What up, Cavs Nation? I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and this is another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm joined by your favorite beat reporter, Chris Fedor. What up, Chris? Ethan, how are you, man? Cold. (laughs) (laughs) It is chilly out here. I know I am not from the South, but it don't mean that under 10 degrees, single digits is not still cold, Chris. Yeah, man. I've lived here my entire life, born and raised. Spent every moment of my life here in this city when I'm not traveling around with the Cavs. And uh, you never get used to this. You never get used to single digits. Awful. It just hits you in the face a different kind of way. Yep. Walk out the door, hit you like a bag of bricks. Makes you not want to do anything, too. Man, hey, that they call seasonal depression a thing for real, man. It'd it be cold and all that. But enough about us complaining about the cold. Let's get into some hopes action. So today, the Cavs were able to extend their winning streak to five games. They are now 10-3 and without Evan Mobley and Darius Garland since the announcements from the injuries came out. Talk to me about what you think about how they played during this stretch. They've been so good during this stretch. Obviously, you have to put it in perspective. The teams that they've played against have been worse than them, and they continue to beat up and take care of business against lesser teams. I think at this point, they might be 16-3 and against teams below 500 or something along those lines. So a majority of the wins during this stretch without Evan and without Darius and a majority of their wins, period, this year have been against the likes of Chicago and Washington, you know, these crummy teams that if you're a team that has playoff aspirations, if you see yourself as a legitimate contender in the Eastern Conference or in the NBA in general, you should beat up on these teams and you should take care of business against these teams. And the Cavs have gotten a break in the schedule. They've been fortunate with some of their opponents during this stretch without Darius and Evan. If they're going to have to play this stretch without two of their most important players, It's good timing for it based on the opponents for a majority of this stretch that they're playing against. But when you have a break in the schedule, it's your job to take advantage of it. And this team has taken advantage of it. They've taken their offense to a completely different level. Three-point shot attempts are up. Passes per game are up. Assists per game are up. Three-point shooting in general, that's up as well. And then over this five-game winning streak, Yes, against crummy Washington, terrible San Antonio, 
awful Brooklyn and Chicago that just doesn't make any sense whatsoever when it comes to the roster construction. The Cavs have gotten back to the defense that they leaned on throughout the course of last season when they won 51 games. I mean, Chris, we talk about these teams getting ran through and somehow the Cavs on multiple occasions during this stretch have scared me because they will get up big other than the Wizards games. They will get up big and then let the team come back and make it interesting. Is this something that we should be concerned about? I know we talk about this a lot, but I feel like it's happened on such a consistent basis that you don't really know what it's going to look like when they do play these teams that they have the Bucks three times before the month is over, and then they play the Clippers to end the month, and thankfully they end the month with the Detroit Pistons so they can get a little pick-me-up there depending on how those games go, but is their late-game antics concerning to you? No, again, we've talked about this a bunch. I I think it's a product of a few different things. Number one, this is a team that, because of the style that they're playing, because of the personnel that they now have in place, they are very reliant on the three-point shot. More than half of their total shot attempts against Brooklyn in Paris were threes. And the same goes for tonight against Chicago. They took 95 total shots, 57 of those were three-pointers. There's obviously some variance throughout the course of a game that's going to happen. The old saying is, live by the three, die by the three, right? So I think they're just going to be prone, Ethan, to stretches while they're trying to play this kind of style. They're going to be prone to stretches where they're not making those shots, and their offense doesn't function at the highest possible level, and they have some lulls. Second quarter, they scored 20. Third quarter, they scored 20. But they picked it back up in the fourth quarter. So I think that's part of the equation. The other part of it is it's just the natural thing that happens in the NBA. A 20-point lead is not what it used to be because of the equalizer, which is the three-point shot. Teams can erase 20-point deficits in a blink. Teams can erase double-digit deficits in a blink. These are NBA players. These are NBA teams. They're going to make runs. How do you respond to those runs? Can you find a way to keep it together long enough, halt those runs, and find a way to turn it back around in your favor, the way that the Cavs did tonight against the Bulls? The other thing that I would say is that they're still trying to figure out end-of-game execution, and they need to win games, there's no doubt about it. But J.B. Bickerstaff also has to do a little bit of experimenting throughout the course of games, and the team has to figure things out on the fly throughout the course of games. And that could lead to some lapses. That could lead to an opponent coming back the way that we saw a lot throughout the course of this season. But I just don't think it's something that is their Achilles heel. And I just believe in the personnel that they have. And I believe in their defense enough where if it comes down to it, just like tonight against the Bulls, if they have to get stops on demand, they're capable of doing that. I mean, we talk about down the stretch and figuring it out and experimentation. I never think the experimentation is going to lead to Dean Wade leading a comeback. And I think that falls into a lot of fans category. But if you look at it, five of the last six field goals that the team made were three-point shots, three of which came from Dean Wade. And he also had a career-high matching three steals tonight. 
the man was playing out of his mind on both ends of the floor after going one for seven from the field, from three to start the game. Like the determination, the ability to get back on your feet, the ability that your teammates trust, believe, and want you to take shots. I mean, we talked to Donovan Mitchell after the game tonight, and he talked about how he literally screams at Dean Wade to shoot the ball. And we also talked to Sam Merrill, who thinks his game is completely contingent on his confidence level. And I think that's something for all NBA players. That's something for all basketball players. Like, even if you're going to the rack and putting shots up and playing five on five, if you miss a shot and you're like, oh, I can't shoot again, and then you get a wide open look and you don't take it, like, that's a confidence thing. But in the NBA, it's like, and I talked to Dean Wade after the game as well, one-on-one, and he said, sometimes I get down on myself. And I literally had to look at him and I'm like, dude, you're in the NBA. Like, I'm sorry. This isn't the YMCA. Like, you have the capability. You have the faith from not only the teammates and the coaching staff, but the organization as well. Because we've talked about it on multiple different occasions, Chris, that this organization wants to see what they can get from Dean Wade. Yeah, and here's the other thing too, Ethan, and and I think this is one of the things that too many people miss when it comes to Dean. He is not a one-dimensional player, so his game and his effect on a game is not predicated on whether he's making shots or not. Now, it was great in the fourth quarter for him and for the Cavs that he was able to make those three threes, and he scored nine points in the fourth quarter. But even before he scored those nine points in the fourth quarter, you could feel his impact. He was spacing the floor. He was creating shot attempts for his teammates. But most importantly, he was a key piece of the Cavs holding the Chicago Bulls to 91 points. He was a key piece of the Cavs holding the Chicago Bulls to 42% from the field and 28% from three-point range. He guarded Kobe White, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Vucevic, and Andre Drummond. Obviously not on the same possession, but throughout the course of the game... He guarded all of those guys in different stretches. There are very few guys on this roster that can match up with guards, forwards, and centers. Dean is somebody who has the strength, he's got the feet, he's got the quickness, he's got the athleticism, and he's got the determination and the want to, to handle all of those matchups. And if you remember, in the third quarter, the Bulls went on a 21-3 run to finish out the third quarter. And part of that was sparked by them going with a funky lineup that even caught the Cavs off guard, and some of the players in the locker room were actually talking about it. They played Andre Drummond and Nikola Vucevic together. The Bulls went to a two-center lineup, and that was very effective, in part because they took advantage of George Niang being out there on the court at that time, and Tristan Thompson as well. So in the fourth quarter, when the Bulls tried to go back to that, And they did. They went back to Drummond and Vucevic again in the fourth quarter. The Cavs had different personnel on the court. And one of those players was Dean Wade. And Dean was in there instead of Niang. And it wasn't nearly as effective for Chicago as it was at the end of the third quarter. Because Dean was able to match up with Drummond in a way that Niang couldn't. Because Dean was able to match up with Vucevic in a way that Niang couldn't. And instead of Chicago Bulls going on a 21-3 run like they did at the end of the third quarter, it was the Cavs who went on their run the minute that the Bulls went to the Vucevic-Drummond lineup. And then about three minutes later, they had to change because it wasn't as effective. 
that's the thing that I think too many people miss when it comes to Dean Wade. There are some guys, Ethan, in the NBA where their impact on a game is going to be predicated on how many shots do they make? How many points do they score? That's not Dean Wade. And that's part of the beauty, and that's part of what makes him a really, really good fit in this particular starting lineup. Yeah, and we talk about Dean's defense, but can't go overshadow the defense that the Cavs team as a whole played in the final frame because five steals in just the fourth quarter alone was a big pick-me-up especially when they were trying to be gritty. They were trying to be defensive-minded because they were they went on a 24-6 to run to end the third quarter and needed to know that we are a defensive-minded team. That is our identity. It doesn't matter if we become a pretty good offensive team. We are always going to be predicated on how our defense is. And once that flip switched, they said, okay, five steals. Let's get out in the transition and then remind them that Oh, yeah, we can shoot the trade ball, too, because if you don't get back on defense, that's the other thing Dean Wade said. It's like he loves playing with this group of guys because you have so many other shooters like Sam Merrill, Max Struess, and George Niang on the floor at the same time that he gets left open a good amount of the time. And that's also helpful for a confidence booster. You say, oh, you want to leave me open? Let me show you why you shouldn't. And then sometimes it just happens like that. I found it very funny that Sam Merrill said that Dean is better when he's shooting chaos threes because he's not thinking as much because I think Dean Wade, who is a very intelligent basketball player, overthinks a lot of different things. And that's one of the things that's like impacts his game is whether he's thinking too much, not thinking enough and have confidence. Like all those three come together because he's confident on a defensive end that on any night he can stop whoever he's guarding or contain whoever he's guarding it's just on the offensive end where he needs to gain a little bit more confidence well that's the thing though Ethan I mean we talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the season when it came to Evan Mobley and Evan is somebody who has been programmed to make the right play over and over and over again and like Dean's on a team with Donovan Mitchell Darius Garland Jared Allen Max Strew Sam Merrill Karis LeVert and there's probably some thought in his own mind of like should I be the one taking the shot You know what I mean? Like, is that still the best thing for this offense? Or should I be a trigger point of this offense where I keep the ball moving and I get it back to Donovan or I get it back to Karras or I get it to somebody who has a little bit more offensive game. I get it somebody who has more scoring potential than what I have. And and I do think that there's a little bit of that when it comes to Dean. And I think that's where sometimes the hesitation comes in because, you know, he doesn't have the biggest offensive role because it isn't his job on a nightly basis to take 10 to 15 shots. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, should I be shooting these shots? Should I be looking to score? And I think that's something that he's going to have to continue to work through as he tries to find his place especially when he gets moved to the bench unit. When Evan Mobley comes back and he's healthy and Darius Garland comes back and he's healthy and Dean's playing with a different group and it's a different style, then he's going to have to try and find what his niche is within those lineups and those combinations as well. All right, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to give an update on Darius Garland and where he could be in the next couple of weeks. But before then, 
Become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and I by subscribing to Subtext. Let us know if you were surprised by Dean Wade's performance and if you think he'll do it more often. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up Stick around, because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from myself and Chris. This isn't just our podcast. It's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. We'll be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back. Chris, we got to see Darius go through his first basketball activities in a month since the injury report before the Chicago Bulls game. Can you give us a little bit of an update on Darius and what's been going on with him? So Darius on Monday had the wiring removed from his mouth. It was a big day because once that was removed and he got clearance to start doing activities that could get his heart rate up and it could be safe for him to do that. He obviously can start progressing towards a return. He's got to get back into condition. He's got to get back into basketball shape. He's got to shake off some of the rust. So it's going to take some time, probably at least a week for him to ramp up and and get ready for game action. But today was a big day for Darius in terms of the step in his progression, getting the wiring out, being able to eat solid food again rather than drink everything from a straw and blend everything. He has this blender that he went out and got. He has been loving some of the concoctions that he has created. He brought his blender with him to Paris. He brought it to restaurants with him so he could order food and then put that in the blender. So he's been able to keep up with that. But, you know, because everything is out of a straw, he wasn't able to do any kind of conditioning, any kind of workouts. He wasn't able to do anything that was going to get his heart rate up. So it's just going to take him some time to get back into that form where he can start playing basketball games again in a highly competitive and a more strenuous scenario than than what he has been accustomed to for the last month. Like a month is a long time to go during an NBA season without like any kind of working out, any kind of conditioning. So He's going to need some time to ramp himself back up, but 
it looks like end of January, which is source close to Darius said was the target date. It looks like that is something that is possible at this point. You have no idea how badly I wanted to see Darius Garland carrying around a blender in the city of Paris just to go to restaurants because they talked about they was in uh, hotel rooms. They was in restaurants. They was everywhere, everywhere. And Darius had his blender because, you know, you can't get all your nutrients that you need in just one sitting. So Donovan Mitchell talked about they were arguing for hours on end just on some random topics and I can just see Darius giggling in the corner with his blender sitting next to him on the nightstand like that is hilarious to me and something that I would pay good money to just see and be in the room be a fly on the wall for those conversations the other thing is Ethan it's going to be a transition for Darius number one but it's also going to be a transition for the Cavs reacclimating him on the fly, especially given how well they're playing and the style that they've used offensively and defensively. Look, it's not because of Darius being out or Evan being out that this team has been able to rise, but they have been able to rise. And over the last 13 games, they are top eight in both offense and defense. And it shows the upside that this team has when they buy into this particular playing style, when they get back to their defensive roots, when they come together as a team the way that they have during this stretch. So when they're on a roll, it makes it harder for somebody like Darius get acclimated once again. It would be a different situation if the team was floundering and they needed him to come back and kind of I don't want to say save the season or something like that, but that kind of scenario, if it was presenting itself, would probably be a little bit easier on somebody like Darius. Now it's like he doesn't want to disrupt what they have going here. He's probably questioning whether he fits with this style offensively and how he's going to fit with this style offensively. So there's just some initial uncertainty when anybody comes back from a lengthy absence just how they're going to fit and how the team is going to look. And they may have, you know, a brief stretch, one to two weeks, where they have to find it again. And it might be a little bit of a stretch where they have to shake off some of those early integration growing pains. Yeah, I mean, we know that Darius is an all-star caliber point guard, and he's done a lot for this organization since he's got here. Hence why he's gotten one of the biggest contracts in franchise history. The biggest. The biggest, excuse me, (laughs) Mr. Moneybags Garland. (laughs) And you think about what he's done, but you also got to recognize like what the team is doing and how they can build off of it. Like we both know that Darius is not shy of shooting the three ball. So that's not going to be an issue. Acclimating him to that is not going to be an issue. It's more on the defensive end and how they prioritize playing with another smaller guard and those kinds of things. It's also going to take him time, Ethan, to get back to the form that he was playing at before the injury happened. And that was part of Darius's frustration when I talked about the way that he was playing. And, you know, he had those stop starts at the beginning of the season. He was in the lineup, out of the lineup, hamstring injury. He said to me when we talked briefly that he was just starting to feel as good as he wanted to. He felt like he was finding his form. He felt like he was in a really, really good rhythm. He felt like his best basketball was on the horizon, just the way that he was physically feeling and mentally feeling. And now it's like he's going to be coming back to a team 
and he's not going to be at that place. He's not going to be as comfortable. He's not going to be in that same kind of rhythm that he was in or starting to get into when this injury happened. It's going to take him time to get back to that form and to feel like himself again. It's not just going to happen because he gets cleared and he's able to play basketball again. It doesn't mean that he's going to be the same Darius Garland from right before when the injury happened. It's going to take him some time to feel like himself again. And speaking of point guards that haven't been in the lineup recently, Craig Porter Jr. falls into that category as well. And a lot of the fans are confused. We had fans (laughs) at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse screaming, where's CPJ? When the Cavs were struggling and the Bulls went on a 24-6 run to end the third quarter after the Cavs had taken a 21-point lead. And I'm not going to lie, as somebody who has been seen and known as the Craig Porter Jr. confidant, it makes sense that he's not playing as much. Because, and people want to compare his playing time minutes to Sam Merrill. You look at their two play styles, and they are vastly different. The Cavs' play style right now is to shoot three-pointers. Although Donovan Mitchell has admitted that he thinks Craig Porter Jr. is a good three-point shooter, but he's also admitted that he doesn't shoot them. So, if you're in a lineup that is requiring you to shoot three-pointers, and the coaching staff understands that you are not always going to be willing to take a three-point shot because that's not your preferred game, then why would they change from a player like Donovan Mitchell, whose game is both three-point shooting and getting to the rim, or Sam Merrill, who primarily shoots three-pointers, or Dean Wade, who shoots only three-pointers, or Max Struess, Craig Porter Jr. is a great athlete. Craig Porter Jr. is having a stellar rookie year. All those things aside, with the lineup, with what the Cavs are trying to do, with the prototype lineup and the schemes that they have in place, sure, he would be great on the defensive end of the ball. He probably plays as good, if not better, defense than Sam Merrill. But it's not hockey. You can't switch out mid-play. You have to be able to have both. You can't just do one side of the ball for each possession. Yeah, I mean, I understand, Ethan, why fans are bothered by it. He has been a revelation. He has been really, really good and impactful when he's gotten opportunities to play. I had one member of the organization say to me the other day, where would we be without Craig Porter Jr.? Because, you know, they went through a stretch where they were missing ball handlers. They were missing Karis LeVert. They were missing Darius Garland. They were missing Donovan Mitchell. And they just didn't have any other guys that could consistently run the offense. So given the fact that Ricky Rubio was bought out and then retired, given the fact that Ty Jerome hasn't played since the second game of the season, having somebody like Craig Porter Jr. to fill those minutes during those stretches has been critical for the Cavs. And he deserves a lot of credit for being ready as quickly as he was because he thought he was going to spend a lot of his time in the G League. And it's been all with the Cavs, all with the NBA team, out of necessity. So I understand why it's bothersome, but I've been trying to warn people about this for weeks. I've written about it. We've talked about it on the podcast. 
And it is logical what J.D. Bickerstaff is doing with his lineups and his rotations if you're actually willing to open your mind and listen to the explanation. Like, you may not agree, you may not like it, but it makes sense. And if you're willing to listen to the why behind it, then I think you'll understand it a little bit better. The bottom line is Craig Porter Jr. cannot play any other position but guard. He's too small. So, like, they have guys... They can play guard or small forward. But Craig Porter Jr. can only play guard. And there are only 96 guard minutes available for him, right? Donovan Mitchell is going to get 36 of those. Now, because he can't play small forward either. Before we continue, Chris tweeted about this earlier this week. And somebody responded saying there's definitely more than 96 guard minutes. Hold on, sir. Hold on, ma'am. 48 plus 48 is 96. Right? And there's two guards. There's a point guard and there's a shooting guard. I hate that we have to break down basketball for some of the people that listen or watch or read our content. But that's what we're doing in today's day and age. So 48 minutes go to the point guard of any lineup that's on the floor. Could be Karis LeVert. Could be Donovan Mitchell. Could be Darius Garland when he comes back. Could be Craig Porter Jr. And then there's... 48 minutes, that goes to the shooting guard position. Again, Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Max Struess, Craig Porter Jr., Sam Merrill. With all that being said, you have 96 minutes. The math is there. We broke it down. So that irked me. I'm sorry. That rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, what math are we doing nowadays? Like, 48 plus 48, right? Max Struess can play guard or forward. Karras can play guard or forward. Isaac Okoro can play guard or forward. But Donovan Mitchell's a guard. Like, he's not going to get forward minutes. And Craig Porter Jr. is a guard. He's not going to get forward minutes. So it's harder for somebody without that level of versatility, positional versatility, to find their way on the court. Yeah, JB's going to lean on Max Struess a little bit more. Duh. He can play multiple positions. He can play multiple styles. So if you have 96 total minutes from the guard spot and Donovan Mitchell is going to get 36 to 40 of those, now you're down to 60, basically 60. Sam Merrill is going to get probably 20 to 25. So now you're down to 40. Max Struess is the starting shooting guard in this particular lineup. So if we think that Max is going to play 35, half of those are probably going to be at the shooting guard spot and the other half are going to be when they play different lineups and he goes to the small forward spot and Karis LeVert plays the two guard in certain lineups and combinations. So he's going to get like 18 of those. Where are the minutes supposed to come from? Like Karis LeVert's going to get guard minutes too, just like he's going to get forward minutes. And Isaac Okoro might get guard minutes, just like he's going to get forward minutes. So it's like Craig Porter Jr. getting playing time would have to come at the expense of one of those guys. So which one is it? You're not taking Isaac Okoro out of the rotation. He's too valuable on the defensive end. You're not taking Max Struess out of the equation. You're not limiting his minutes significantly either just to fit in Craig Porter Jr. because Max Struess has the best on-off differential of anybody on the roster. You're not going to limit Sam Merrill's minutes because like, he has become a weapon for this team off the bench and he's a big part of this new stylistic change that they've made. And he's a big part of their three-point shooting prowess. So it's just when you have somebody like Craig Porter Jr. who can only play one position, there are only so many minutes available, and there are so many other guys 
that are playing that same position or getting minutes at that same position that are ahead of him in the pecking order of this team. And they should be ahead of him in the pecking order of this team, for Christ's sake. You think about the game against the Bulls on Monday. Max Strus is playing on a bum knee, and he still played 35 minutes. And we think about the lineups that the Cavs are running. They're running a four-shooters lineup with one center. And think about the height that you need to play a four-shooter lineup. Because you still need a technical power forward to guard the opposing team's power forward. You technically need a small forward to guard the opposing team's small forward. And that's why in the starting lineup, Isaac Okoro and Dean Wade fill in nicely. Because they are defensive-minded players. Craig is both. He can do both. To be very fair, because in from junior college to Wichita State to the NBA, he's been doing it all in all categories, filling up box scores and whatever. So there is no specialty that you can just throw him in and say, do this one thing, focus on this one thing. That's not Craig Porter Jr.'s game. He impacts the entire floor. And to say that you want him to just focus on one side of the ball would be detrimental to not only to his game, but to the game of the team. Well, the other thing is, too, like this, this needs to be said as well. Like there are going to be nights, Ethan, moving forward where the Cavs feel like They probably need a little bit more ball handling and more playmaking. And if it comes down to that, then I think J.B. Bickerstaff will go to him at the expense of one of the other guys that we already talked about, right? But because Donovan Mitchell has moved into the full-time point guard spot and because Karis LeVert can be a competent point guard as well in a backup role, he can run the offense, he can get them into their sets, he can anchor the second unit and... The other variable here is that like some of their offense is also being run through Jared Allen in the post, and he's kind of like the trigger man, and actions come away from him, but like they've gone away from this pick-and-roll heavy attack on the offensive end. So their need for a ball handler like Craig Porter Jr., somebody who's good in the pick-and-roll the way that he is, their need for that has been minimized slightly. And if they didn't have Karis LeVert capable of running the offense, and they didn't have Karis LeVert capable of being the second unit playmaker, then they would probably need the skill set of Craig Porter Jr. a little bit more. They would need his creation. They would need his ball handling. They would need his ability to run the offense. But at this point, they need what Sam Merrill brings to the table more than they need what Craig Porter Jr. brings to the table because they feel like they have enough guys who can create offense because they feel like the style of offense that they're playing is going to lead to shot creation in different kinds of ways. And look, man, they're on a five-game winning streak. And I know that the teams that they've beaten suck, but they're on a five-game winning streak. Playing this kind of way, using these kinds of lineups, and using this rotation. Again, while Darius continues to recover, there may be opportunities throughout the course of a game based on matchup, based on game flow, based on situation, where JB feels like he needs to go to Craig Porter Jr. because he needs a little bit something extra that one of the other guys can't give them. But this is a guy who is toward the back end of the rotation and baked into his role as a rookie, baked into his role on this team 
is a little bit of uncertainty about how many minutes he's going to get per night or if he's even going to get minutes at all. That's part of what happens when you're the 10th, 11th guy in the rotation. You're not going to have the same level of minute consistency as some of these other guys that are in the top eight of the rotation. All this being said, I still think Craig Porter Jr. should feel good about his standing with the Cavs. Without a doubt. And this is the last thing I'll say about this. There is less of a reason for the Cavs to go get or go look for another backup point guard because of the success that Craig has had. Because they have Karis LeVert as the backup point guard manning the second unit. Like, you think about all those things and you think about a two-way undrafted rookie that has made his way to earn the confidence from and the faith from the organization to say, hey, we're going to think about getting you a full-time contract up here because you've been able to show that it doesn't matter how much you play. It doesn't matter what opportunities you get, that you'll make the most of them, but you'll also be able to support your team even when you're on the bench. Like tonight, still interacting with the team, still being high energy, all of those things, still playing with a smile on his face. With that being mentioned, I'm going to go to the last question of the night that I have for you, Chris. And it's more of a fun one because we know and love Tristan Thompson on the bench and how he's been able to interact with his teammates. But tonight, he got to go back to his number. Number 13, formerly worn by Ricky Rubio since the retirement happened. Tristan has now donned the jersey again. He's wearing number 13 for the first time this season against the Bulls. He wore this number 13 jersey when the Cavs won their first championship. He wore the jersey when he was at Texas. What do you know about what this means for Tristan, and how good was it just to see him back in his old threads? It felt a little deja vu-ish. Well, it's clearly important to him. I've talked to him a few different times about this. It's in his Twitter handle. His Twitter handle, or X handle, whatever it's called, Real Tristan 13. And, you know, he made a post earlier tonight on Instagram. He made another one on X just in front of the Thompson 13 jersey and smiling. It's the number that he's worn since he came into the NBA. It's the number that he first picked when he came to the Cavs so many years ago as the fourth overall pick. I think it's a number that that means something to him, clearly. And when he thinks about his time with the Cavs, for all of those years, it was all about him wearing number 13. 13 was synonymous with Tristan Thompson. So having him be able to go back to it for whatever reason, and no matter the circumstances, it's clearly something that it's a sense of pride for him, obviously, and it makes him feel good. It means something to him. All right, Chris. It's been a long one. We done gave him a lot of information. But that'll wrap up today's episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. But remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and I by subscribing to Subtext. We gave this information earlier today about Tristan taking on the number 13 jersey again, about Darius Garland getting the wiring done. All of that has been mentioned in our Subtext. So join up, become a subscriber, become a Subtexter, sign up for a 14-day free trial, or visit cleveland.com backslash calves and click on the blue bar at the top of the page to do so. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word stop. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the calves from myself 
and Chris. This isn't just our podcast. It's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. Y'all be safe. We out.